Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time. I'm going to do something here this morning. I dropped it on purpose, okay? There we go. I heard from some of these people. They feel a little distant when I'm on the other side. And uh, so I'm just trying to get closer, okay? Nothing personal uh, over here. Um, Julian, great job on that story. Thank you. you got a voice, man. That voice needs to be recorded. You're a storyteller. I like the different voices, too, so keep that up. That's good. Uh, Matt and Bo, blessings to you as you get ready to take off. If you need some pastoral counseling, give me a call. Church will pay for me to fly over and visit you in Hawaii and Majuro. <laughs> when you go surfing that first time and you bounce off the reef and you're in a lot of pain, I'll come and comfort you. I'll bring my oil and anoint you. I'll be okay. <laughs> uh, blessings to you guys uh, in your journey with Jesus and with others, different parts of this world. Um, I want to say it's, uh, it's good to be back. It was good to be on vacation for a little while. And uh, it was good just to kind of get to a place, you know, where the average temperature is in the low 70s every day. And a nice ocean breeze. And the water temperature is about 70 degrees. And uh, although I actually didn't get out in the water a lot, but, but it was good. My son got out a lot. And I think he's, I think he's helping prep for a fellowship meal today. But uh, a lot of good, uh, good times, good rest. We had one of those bonding family vacations, you know, where the budget was a little tight. So we got a hotel room with one bathroom and one room. And uh, Lisa and I were in the bed because we're the old people and we need that. And uh, Alana was in the pull-out sofa. And we got a fold-out bed for Andrew and he slept at our feet. And you just make sure you didn't bang your knees on the bed as you went to the bathroom <laughs> trying to get by Andrew. Uh, but it was good, good bonding experience. And, uh, but it's good to be back. It's good to be back with my church family, and uh, I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Aaron and Pablo and their preaching for the couple Sabbaths that I was gone, and um, they may not be aware of this, but I listen and I watch, um, and I quote, I quote, but he's not here, so I'm not going to say that. Where is he? <laughs> now, now, I want you to know that the San Francisco Giants have won three championships since, since Aaron became an adult, which was less than 10 years ago. But, now I say that, I can, we, can, we can poke and have fun. Uh, less than 10 years ago that he became an adult, but I want to assure you parents that our kids are in great hands with Pastor Aaron and what he's doing. I say that as, as a senior pastor and as a parent as well, who have two teenagers uh, under his leadership. Now, yes, they won three championships, um, but I want you to know that the L.A. Dodgers have won five championships since moving to L.A., so I'm just going to leave it there. Now, let me get on to the sermon today, okay? Um, Today's message is actually inspired by a gas pump. I was uh, pumping gas uh, a while back at one of our gas stations here on Cala Mesa Boulevard. And, you know, when you go on vacation, you try to like, okay, I need to turn it off so I can just let the brain rest. 
but as a, as a pastor, the brain never fully, like, rests. And so you can't, I got back on Wednesday. Wednesday was my first day back in the office this week, and you can't hit the ground Wednesday saying, what am I going to preach on, right? That just doesn't work. So while you're out and about on vacation, you know, ah, you'd be thinking, God, what do you want me to say, and so forth. So I was pumping gas, and a phrase came up on the little screen there while I was pumping gas. And, and I thought about that, and, you know, I thought if God can use a donkey to speak, he can use a gas pump, you know, to, to speak as well. And this phrase came up. Well, that's the phrase. You're not waiting for it. That's the phrase. Please <laughs> wait. And, and I thought about that, and I thought about myself and probably you as a fellow human being, that that's not a phrase we particularly enjoy. It's not a phrase we particularly like. Please wait. What do you mean wait? Don't you know I'm busy? I got things to do. If I wait too long, I'm going to get behind. Please wait. Please wait. The gas pump says, please wait. You're on the phone, customer service, please wait. As they play the same song over and over and over again. We even have rooms for waiting, right? They're called what? Waiting rooms. It's where you go to wait. If you're like me and my wife on Sunday night, and we went to the ER because she messed up her knee on last Sunday. We're in the ER, and we're in the waiting room, and, and eventually by the time you get home, you'd spent almost eight hours, you know, to finally get seen, but we understand there's more crises happening than, than the knee. Or I was uh, on jury duty a few weeks before vacation, and uh, I was in the room where you wait to find out if you're going to get selected, and the lady across from me on the couch decided she was done with waiting. She's just going to sleep. She began snoring so loud <laughs> that everybody started looking back at me. And I thought, oh, it's not me. <laughs> now, if I was a good Christian, I would have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she just wouldn't stop. Actually, I was kind of envious. I wanted to take a nap as well. Please wait. I found a few interesting things on waiting. We're not a type of people that like to wait. New Yorkers lead the nation in wait time. I don't know if you knew that or not. According to a 25-city survey, New Yorkers spend an average of 6 minutes and 51 seconds waiting in individual store lines. Miami second with 6 minutes and 44 seconds. Cleveland spends the least amount of time. They spend just 4 minutes and 33 seconds in line. The average wait time for a doctor's visit is 24 minutes. Neurosurgeons are longer, 30 minutes. The average ER time is four hours and seven minutes. <laughs> um, it's amazing how we, waiting is hard. I live near um, Santa Mateo, uh, the road there, Canyon Road, and um, there's a train tracks across that, that road. And uh, usually you can make it to Redlands in you know, 20 minutes or so, going the back way. If that train comes, you're going to get held up. And it feels like an eternity because the train goes really slow. So I timed it a couple of times to see how long it is, and it's less than five minutes. I'm like, well, that's not very long. You know, I'd enjoy the five minutes. So over the years, I've learned to enjoy please wait because I find that it gives me an opportunity to stop, to ponder, to marinate on the things of God and the things that he's put in my head through scripture and songs and different things. 
So now I'm a little upset when I'm told to please wait, and then they want to show me TV shows, and they want to do other things. You know, you go to the gas pump now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's TVs in the gas pump. Right? Have you noticed that? And I like sports trivia, but they're giving me new sports trivia. They're giving me what's on the late show last night, everything else, and it's super loud. Now, I'm just sounding old right now, aren't I? I'm just like, because I am. Timex, the watch company, did a little study. And they found out, they asked people how long they would wait before taking action in a wide variety of situations. We'll wait 13 seconds before we honk at the car in front of us that stopped at a green light. I don't know about you, but I thought that was a long time. (laughs) I'm like, 13 seconds? That's a long time sitting at a green light. In fact, the lights probably changed back to red by that point. 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking around us. 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave. I love this last one. And 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in. 20 minutes? I don't care if it's Thanksgiving, right? Let's get to it. Let's get busy. One researcher examined uh, viewing habits of 6.7 million people on the internet. How long were subjects willing to be patient? Two seconds. Two seconds. After that, they started abandoning the site. After five seconds, the abandonment rate is 25%. And when you get to 10 seconds, half are gone. The results offer a glimpse of the future, Boston Globe said. As internet speeds increase, people will be even less willing to wait. I love this. The researcher who spent years developing the study worries that someday people will be too impatient to conduct studies on patients. <laughs> yes. Well, there's lots of other things, but please wait. Please wait. It's hard for us to wait. And in our day and age and in our society where it seems like things are completely whacked and out of control, is God saying, please wait? Please wait. But God, do you know what's going on down here? Do you see the absurdity of the actions we take as human beings? God, do you know what has happened in Dallas and Baton Rouge and and what's going on in Afghanistan? Just just because this morning, before first service, I said, I'm going to pull up my news app on my phone, and I'll be surprised if something hasn't happened this morning. And I don't know if you heard, but there was a terrorist attack in Afghanistan this morning. At least 80 people dead just this morning. God, are are you aware of what's happened in Nice and Turkey and Germany and Syria? And are you aware? What do you mean, please wait? Please wait. In our painful and intense times with such hatred, such violence, inequality, injustice, immorality, situational ethics and political correctness. Please wait. I was just a lad. Somewhere, I think, between the the grades of first and third grade. I was going, uh, I grew up not far from here in Southern California, Los Angeles County. I was going to a school called, at that time, Pomona Junior Academy. 
it's called something else now. It slipped me on my top of my head, but um, we were going to the Pomona Seventh Day Adventist Church. We had come home for Sabbath lunch. We invited some friends over. They happened to be African American. Some of my best friends, they were twins, David and Darren. They'd come over for lunch, and uh, I said, let's go outside and play. And they, like, said, I don't think we can do that. I said, why not? And he said, they looked at me like, don't you know? And I said, I said, well, let's go out and play. Let's just go out front. They'll tell us when lunch is ready. Don't worry, you won't miss lunch. <laughs> no, I don't think we can do that. Why? Um because we're black and you're in a white neighborhood. I had never even thought of that before. That was the first time my mind was open to even think about that. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I know all my neighbors and they all like me and they're nice people. We can go out and play. They didn't want to do it. And then um, some other people came over. My grandparents came over uh, and... um, my grandfather, who's loved me to death. I have just such fond memories of my grandfather and the way he loved me and played with me and so forth. And he, uh, I would say he wasn't, he wasn't your churchgoer, per se, but he would always take my grandmother to church, drop her off, come pick her up, and so forth. And uh, they came over, and, and uh, my friends and I were playing in the house. <laughs> and uh, we ran right by my grandfather, and, and I'll never forget when he said, where did those blank come from? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was shocked. That was when my, I was first exposed to that type of thinking and what was happening. And church, it breaks my heart that in 2016, that still shows up. And it's not just outside the church. It's inside the church. And that's just got to stop. It just has to stop. Because at the cross, there are no colors. Someone once said, I don't know who said it, but they said if we kneel at the cross for God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's compassion, and we get up from that cross and we still see colors, we better kneel again. Because we are all God's beautiful creation. Every single human being. Please wait. God, please wait while this is going on. While we see racism, while we see inequality, while we see police officers being shot, while we see terrorism, please wait. I was blessed by a speech given by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. I want to invite you sometime this week to go to this website, templetonprize.org, templetonprize.org. And this is from their website here. The Templeton Prize honors a living person who has made an exceptional contribution to affirming life's spiritual dimension, whether through insight, discovery, or practical works. Established in 1972 by the late Sir John Templeton, the prize aims, in his words, to identify entrepreneurs of the spirit, Outstanding individuals who have devoted their talents to expanding our vision of human purpose and ultimate reality. The first award, just to give you an idea, was given in 1973 to Mother Teresa. 
So now in 2016, it was given to this rabbi, Lord Jonathan Sachs. And it's an incredible speech. It's only about six, seven pages long. You can download the PDF. I invite you to do it. It's profound. But I just want to share with you two paragraphs from his speech. He says, Every observer of the grand sweep of history has said essentially the same thing, that civilizations begin to die when they lose the moral passion that brought them into being in the first place. It happened to Greece and Rome, and it can happen to the West. The sure signs are these, a falling birth rate, moral decay, growing inequalities, a loss of trust in social institutions, self-indulgence on the part of the rich, hopelessness on the part of the poor, unintegrated minorities, a failure to make sacrifices in the present for the sake of the future, a loss of faith in old beliefs, and no new vision to take their place. These are the danger signals, and they are flashing now. There is an alternative, he says. The alternative is this, to become inner-directed again. This means recovering the moral dimension that links our welfare to the welfare of others, making us collectively responsible for the common good. It means recovering the spiritual dimension that helps us tell the difference between the value of things and their price. We are more than consumers and voters. Our dignity transcends what we earn and own. It means remembering that what's important is not just satisfying our desires, but also knowing which desires to satisfy. It means restraining ourselves in the present so that our children may have a viable future. It means reclaiming collective memory and identity so that society becomes less of a hotel and more of a home. In short, it means learning that there are some things we cannot or should not outsource, some responsibilities we cannot or should not delegate away. That was just two paragraphs. He says the alternative is to become inner-directed again. Church, if we're not careful, even the church the people of God, the apprentices of Jesus Christ can be shaped and formed more by our society than by Jesus himself. And that's not going to help this world at all. When Jesus created us, he designed us to be with him. And as he came to earth, he called and reminded us and invited us to be with him. Come follow me. Come live intimately with me. Abide with me. Know me, abide in my teachings, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said in John 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Church, the ruler of this world is not waiting to be judged. He has been judged. And the Bible goes on to say that he knows his time is short, and so he roams this world like a lion devouring. Do you see it? I see it. The world sees it. But he's been judged. And so Jesus calls us, his people, his beloved apprentices, 
as we wait, not to wait for him to do something, but to wait with him as he's up to something and to work with him in that something. He said he has sent the Holy Spirit, the helper, to do these things. The Holy Spirit is active out there and he's active in here. And we are called to partner with him. We are called to work with him. We're called to make a difference in our world. We are called not to wait for God to do something, but we're called to do something with God. Now, you may not live in Dallas. You may not live in Baton Rouge. You may not live in Syria. You may not live in all the places that we've heard in the near past of the tragedies that have happened. But that stuff happens in the workplace. The hatred, the inequality, the discrimination, the racism. It happens in the workplace. It happens at schools. It happens in homes. It happens in our society. So we don't sit back and say, I'll wait. As Jesus' apprentices, as his disciples in the world, when we hear comments made, when things are said, the Spirit wants us to speak. The Spirit wants us to say something and to do something. When someone's being afflicted or oppressed, Jesus does something. And he wants us to do something. We are with God, waiting with God as he does things. I found this interesting insight. You know, sometimes we think that, well, let me see, let me do this first. Thrill-seeking activities require tedium. You're going, John, where are you going with this? Give me a minute. This was in the New York Times last year. It says, you might assume that extreme activities like traveling through space or climbing Mount Everest provide constant excitement. Not exactly. A book by two researchers called Extreme, Why Some People Thrive at the Limits, shows that many thrill-seeking activities involve a lot of ordinary and even tedious moments. For instance, here's how the NASA astronaut Gene Cernan summed up his overall experience of space travel. These are his words. Funny thing happened on the way to the moon. Not much. <laughs> but he went to the moon. Space travelers aren't the only ones killing time and battling boredom. During their free climb of the Dawn Wall in Yosemite National Park in California, Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen spend a large part of many days waiting for shade to hit the wall so they could begin to climb. One study of explorers scaling in Himalayan peak found that they spent a mere 4% of their time actually climbing. 4%. The book concluded that although a yearning for novelty and excitement may draw people into extreme activities, these pursuits inevitably require long periods of patience, discipline, and perseverance. We're in a society where the extreme is everything. Extreme this, extreme that, and it's highly entertaining to watch, I tell you. Social media is full of it. Well, let me tell you, those few short minutes or seconds when you are in a situation where you see racism, where you see inequality, you see uh, 
oppression. You experience some of that just a few short seconds. But let me tell you, it's those hours and those moments of disciplined time at the feet of Jesus that will empower you in those times. Without that time at the feet of Jesus, without that time of abiding in him, we will often find ourselves powerless in those situations. But who wants to spend time reading the Bible? Who wants to spend even five minutes in prayer? Those things are boring. Church, we are in a time and an age where our closeness to Jesus means everything. Everything. And I believe in these last days, it always has meant this, but even means more now, our closeness and our intimacy with Jesus is everything. Don't be lured into the trap that I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this. This is exciting, this isn't. The power comes in the abiding. That's why, and I've said it over and over and over, and the first time I ever stood on this platform back in 2009, the month of September, I said, I am all about John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If someone abides in me, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And when you do this, you will love one another. That's the natural result. You will love one another. In fact, Jesus says, my command is this. He said his command. My command is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. Church, I can't love you like Jesus loves you unless Jesus is in me. Unless Jesus, is, his power and his presence is in me. Because humanly speaking, I will not love you like Jesus loves you. It's a supernatural act of God. And when we are in tough situations at work and at school and at play and at home or wherever, we, those situations, we are not going to love like Jesus unless he's there. And let me tell you, I'm not saying we do this perfectly. I know from my own experience, I don't do it perfectly. I blow it, and I have to ask forgiveness. I have to apologize. It happens with all of us, but hopefully less often than it used to. He goes on to say that the world isn't going to like you very much. The world's going to treat you the same way it did to me. What happened to Jesus when he stood up for those who were not considered much in society? Eventually, they crucified him. But Jesus goes on and he says, but listen, the Holy Spirit, he's going to testify about me. And he says, and you will too. And here's the reason why. Because you've been with me. We testify that we've been with Jesus by how we love and how we care for those that society wants to chew up and spit out. I love Psalms 27. And the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock, 
And now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says. Seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know this word wait at the end of this psalm in verse 14? is actually an interesting word. It doesn't just mean just sit back and wait. Because the root of this Hebrew word actually means to bind together, perhaps by twisting. And so in the waiting, it's not being passive. It's making sure that I'm abiding, that I'm, that I'm wrapping around God and twisting like the vine and the branches. I'm binding together with God and who he is. And that means that I'm also going where he goes. And by the grace of God, hopefully more often than not, I'm saying what he's saying and doing what he's doing. I love how the message says that last verse. Stay with God. Take heart. Do not quit. I'll say it again. Stay with God. Please wait. Please wait. Is God saying, please wait? and I'll get to it? Or maybe what I hear Jesus saying to us is, please wait with me. Please be mingled with me, entwined, so that where I go, you go. And what I do, you do. And what I say, you say. Be my apprentice. Allow yourself to be my beloved. Please wait with me in the lives of this world and so many people who are in so much pain. Let's pray. Jesus, you truly are our everlasting God. You are present with us in this world. In this world of Humanity who was designed to govern and to reign well under your reign. We have failed miserably. And so in the midst of all kinds of chaos and turmoil, you invite us to wait with you, to wait on you, to wait on others. I thank you, Jesus, that you are not a passive God that just says, please wait and I'll get to that. In the meantime, listen to this nice music. You are a God who has sent your spirit down to this place. (coughs) Sent your spirit down to bring healing and to bring power to love, courage in tough situations.
You have sent your spirit so that when we get into situations and we don't know what to say, your spirit will give us the words to say, to speak up for the weak and the hurting and the oppressed. So Jesus, give us the grace to humble ourselves, to sit at your feet, to abide and to know that the fruit comes and the work that needs to be done comes only in our abiding relationship with you. We cannot generate it on our own. So we hear your invitation this morning, Jesus, to please wait at your feet, to please wait with you to go out into the world and make a difference in such a hurting place. Please take a moment now and just silence to be still with Jesus and listen as he impresses upon your heart and your mind maybe some people that need some of his love in this broken world. Even now in death you open doors 
God say, please wait for me. Please wait with me. Let's go be active with God this week, bringing his love into very difficult situations. And God bless you. May God's anointing of his spirit rest upon you because he's calling you to do things we cannot do in our own power. God bless you.